0: I'm Al Filreis, and this is Poem Talk at the Writer's House, where I have the pleasure of convening three friends in the world of art to collaborate on a close but not too close reading of a poem. We'll talk, maybe even disagree a bit, and perhaps open up the verse to a few new possibilities, and we hope gain for a work that interests us, some new readers and listeners. And I say listeners because Poem Talk poems are available in recordings made by the poets themselves as part of our Penn Sound archive, writing.upenn.edu slash pensound. Poem Talk has once again gone on the road. I, along with my colleagues Zach Cardner, Chris Martin, and Anna Strong-Safford, and we are happily here today in Los Angeles, California, in Pacific Palisades, to be exact, at the lovely home of Marjorie Perloff. Joined by Danny Snelson, who teaches here at UCLA, whose books include Inventory Arousal, 2011, Epic Lyric Poem, 2015, uh, Execute Text, E-X-E-T-X-T, all caps, a Gauss PDF, highly recommended, by the way, 2015, (laughs) and Radios, published by Make Now Press in 2016, whose current critical historical theoretical book is about the Little Database setting big data analysis against and in homage to the little magazine. And who, I hear it being whispered, is now making graphic novels or comics. (laughs) (laughs) And also by Nancy Perloff, art historian, musicologist, curator of modern and contemporary collections at the Getty Research Institute here in Los Angeles, whose book, Explodedy, Sound, image, and word in Russian formalist book art is based on the amazing collection of Russian modernism at the Getty, among whose uh, many curated exhibits are Concrete Poetry, Words, and Sound in Graphic Space 2017 and World War I, War of Images, Images of War 2014, and whose recent publications include Books to Look at, Books to Listen to, The Great Russian Avant Garde Experiment. And by the aforementioned Marjorie Perloff, our host, For today's poem talk, whose many important critical and scholarly books include The Dance of the Intellect, Wittgenstein's Ladder, The Futurist Moment, to name just a few, and whose recent book is Edge of Irony, Modernism in the Shadow of the Habsburg Empire, and among whose poetry related essays in recent years are, just to take a random sampling, an article on Susan Howe's Late Style, a course of lectures at the T.S. Eliot Summer School, which I think is being published, that was summer 2017. The, the, the talks were given, an essay on Beckett's poetry for a collection titled The New Beckett, so much more as usual, and for us in a forthcoming book, a brilliant 1,000-word essay on a single poem by Frank O'Hara. Marjorie, thank you for coming. No, you didn't come. <laughs> we came. Yeah. Thank you for hosting us here at your house. Thank you for coming, Al. Yeah. And thank you for the whole team.
1: Yeah. And Danny. Delighted to be here. Thank yeah. you both. UCLA, you're just, you're not far. I'm just down the street.
0: Yeah, literally, <laughs> just down the street. It's good yes. to see you. And Nancy, thank you so much. A long thank way down the street. Thank you so much. I'm this is so something delighted. of a homecoming for it, you.
2: It's, it's great to be part of this. Yeah.
0: Well, today we four are gathered here at Marjorie's Home to talk about a piece by John Cage called Writing for the Second Time Through Finnegan's Wake. A video recording of Cage performing this piece was made in 1978. It's been on Vimeo for about eight years and has so far only received 2,700 views. So among our hopes for this conversation is that more people will want to watch Cage in action, really in action on, on that occasion. Before the reading, Cage read a preface explaining the structure of his own work in relationship to the lexical and linguistic experiments in Joyce's Finnegan's Wake. The text of the preface and the aleatory poem itself are available in Cage's book, Empty Words, starting on page 133. And today we're going to focus on the first few pages of the piece in the recording. Cage starts reading the mazostic itself at around 16 minutes and 50 seconds in. And we will listen through to the 22nd-minute mark. So here now is John Cage in 1978 performing, writing for the
3: second time through Finnegan's Wake. Ross with 2-1 Nath and Joe, a malt gem-shen-shoot-solid man that the Humpty Hillhead of himself is at the knockout in the park. Jick up the father, most heaven sky sign. Judges, our Deuteronomy, watch future pension jukey chap, mighty cement and edifices. The Jebel and the crop herb, a fly day, and she all casually answers helpers. Jolly bool and struppet hump, and all the uproar alfroofs, to fiel his baywinds, obobos, all the livy long tricky trokies. Was he on the joint? Was he foam as old as you, Jamie? Our country is a fufferich, sorrester. This is the Grand Mons Injun. This is the Alps whooping to shelter shock the three lipoleums. This is their leggehorns. Ginny's is a coup in her Philippi dispatch to irrigate the willing done. The Ginny's Fontenoy bowed belch and bonnet to Busby. This is the Hindu waxing Ranjy mad for the Hindu seaboy. Cry to the Willingdon, just appear to nigh Milatopicos and to morn. We wish for a muddy musical chocolate box. I say Incubus, used we Mammon Lucius Grand Historiarum wrote near bluest Jerry building. To the year, year and laughter's confusion, hold them. This Carl on the copy Parth alone shapen his pigmaid, hag's head shrunk his plod's foot. Tis a jute. Swap hats and excheck a few strong verbs. Yap, yaser, de bast mutt. has at, hesitancy. I trumple from wrath in mine minds. Jute, one eye gone black. Cross your qualm. Have sylvan objects, alvis. Beats, old waldy cargan of prohibitive pomophrugs, Dublin's giant may mud sunder who oped it closer. and Jarl Van Hoother laying cold hands on himself, and his two little Jimineys, cousins of Castle B. Dermot, come to the keep of a rosy jiminy with soft years walk to touch him his tickles. You were the double jointed janitor the morning they were delivered. And you'll be a grandfer when the right hand seizes what the love arm knows. Hetty Jane's a child. She'll be coming. Their torch to rekindle the flame. She'll do no juggly wuggly with her war souvenir Muriel. Assure, assure there. Jubilee, scatter guns, families symbolizing puritas per usuals. Jappy-jap among Sibylline, Malachy, King of Khan. Practical joke piece. Secheltico comedian comedian, his house about him with invariable broad-stretched juke and Kalikek families. At one time annoying, see Irwicker. Jesse's ripe occasion, our Villa Pleach, Vala Thick up for Flesh Nelly. Guinness spa Tool in Jumie dinner, Oozle a nice how do you do in pool black time Jergensen's shrapnel communionism, Usu capture, the same tongue and commutative justice that there is not one tittle of hypertituitary tituitary manlike cavern ethics, Blue Ruin and Creeping Jenny, Eglindine's choicest herbage, man's swell that aims swell, many jiffies, furbishing potlids, lids scholars, apple cheeks, and link boy's medals. Cross Eblin's chilled hamlet, subjects of King St. Salmon alive with their priggish mouths all open. A house of call at Cougis Place, old Sot's hole, by setting a match to Stuart's puttatch. Joined had been the variety, had stimulants in the shape of G and G's, juiced after taking their liquor from highway and brown byway, Scotia picta, and he who denays it, may his hairs be rubbed. His majesty, that one crooned king, among rhapsods piped decent so art, Jail, chorus, jail of Mountjoy, jail him and joy. He was sick seven dry Sundays a week. Jolting the back trap omnibus caught his death of fusiliers." So Nancy, we are going to
0: define what a mozostick is. We are going to explain how this thing was put together. But I thought it would be fun to start by asking you and Marjorie to tell us. I understand that you prepped this by together <laughs> well. listening. <laughs> well and I, and I know that and Marjorie told me how much pleasure there was in this listening to this again. Nancy, wh- what was your response to listening again?
2: It's, it's really quite remarkable because I find, although there are particular lines that I remember and I feel I'm returning to, much of it Remember from sound, Joyce? No, or remember not from, from Joyce. the cage. Remember from the cage.: right. Yeah, not from the Joyce.) Um, There are other sections that are almost, it's almost as if I'm hearing them for the first time, and that's a very interesting kind of balance that I find between familiarity, lines that somehow stay in my mind, and other lines that continue to be difficult, that continue not to be memorable in the same way. But the other point I would just want to make is the contrast between the way the text looks and the way it sounds.
0: And what would that contrast Mm -hmm. be? You're so right.
2: Yeah, that, well, um, for example, the first line, let's just take the first line, Roth with two one. Nathan Joe. If you just look at it and you don't say it out loud, 2-1, yes, that makes sense. It would. But One might have said twone. Twone, One doesn't know. It could have been that. There are many words that are not real words in this text. Nathan Joe, somehow that D gets elided or doesn't get heard, but it is present when you look at it. Mm. So that's just one example.
0: Marjorie, in general, what's the pleasure? Well, it's also, I just want
2: to
4: follow up on that a minute. It's also that, let's say, the Y, when a Y is in final position like day, D-A-Y, you don't hear a Y, and and so when you see the Y, it's one thing, same thing with the letter E, but um, half the time E's are not even pronounced, you know, it could be back there. So, so, in fact, the visual deconstructs the audio and vice versa. You have to both hear it and see it. And I just want to show you an experiment I made, we might start with that. The masostic text, a masostic means an acrostic that goes down the middle, not on the left margin. Right. But it means that the letter a 50%, this is a 50% mesostic, which means between the J and the A of James Joyce, you can't have an A. Between the A and the M, you can't have an M. 100% masostic would be you can't have a J or an A between the J and the A. You can't have an, an A or an E, I'm sorry, or an M between the A and the M, which would be even harder to do. But so you have the masostic case, but then Cage says somewhere, and that's the key to the whole thing, the wing words, that is the words to the side of the masostic, are done according to taste. Well, what does that mean, according to taste? There he doesn't follow the rules because, now watch what I did. If we take that first one again, Roth with two, one, Nathan Joe, A, Mo, Jem, Shen, chute, solid man, that the Humpty Hill head of himself is at the knockout in the park. I observed the rules completely and came up with this, and you'll see how I lose the rhythm. Nathan Joe, Rodapec, Malt, Jem, or Shen, notice the chute, earth solid man, Humpty Hill head, upturned pike, point in places at the knockout in the park. In other words, I took all the things from Joyce, I observed the rules, but I changed the wing words to make them longer or shorter. And that's when you can see that he has picked them each time so carefully to create a certain rhythm. He because made a poem. Roth with he didn't need to include Roth with two one. He could have just said Nath and Joe.
1: Right. You see? Right. That that might be a good place for me to, to jump in and start because I love that he because I, uh, I I really think this is a very creative work for John Cage and and the, it, it's all about the selection of the wing words where he's not just following a set of rules no. to their logical conclusion not but rather no. he's making intensive choices with each and every selection right about those ring words wing words which um, I, I was so I was wondering about this first one we start mm-hmm. Roth with two one Nathan Joe it's it, it, so Roth sounds kind of like writing maybe like it, it's written but two one is two People at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could say it's like Cage and James Joyce. And Nathan Joe is the combination of two names. doing mm-hmm. so uh, a lot begins, of work in that first there's line. There's a mm-hmm. lot of stuff. And a it's really show. about choosing the, the Roth with 2-1 Nathan Joe. Um, and, that, and that carries throughout the entire poem. And I think it comes out in the way that he reads it, that there's a lot of connectors, right? So instead of just reading it directly, word, 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 um, more similar to, say, what he does with empty words when reading Thoreau's journals. Here you get this really um, enunciatory, um, very impassioned reading. It, it's as though he's really making sense of the text for you and writing a new story, a new poetic text within the original.
2: And just to add, I hope, to, to, to what Danny's saying and what I tried to do a little bit just musically, is I tried to go through and kind of think about tempo. And mm-hmm. think and think about dynamics. Those two things, because he is a composer, and there's a few passages just to call to your attention. Uh, one is um, on page 140, where we have the Jiminies, and the Jiminies get mentioned twice. And he gets to and his two little Jiminy's cousins of Castle, and he starts moving very quickly, and that continues with the next Jiminy, Jiminy with soft years walk to touch him his tickles, if I said that right. So you have this speeding up. And at the very top of that page, another phenomenon which I love, which is that you have words that only sound like a real word when you hear him pronounce them, like Dublin's, which, of course, is Dublin. But when you just see it, Dublin's, it has a different meaning visually.
0: Why is it so important that Cage uh, explain... His process, his thinking, his conversations with colleagues. It's important. The, 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 the intro, the preface he read at this occasion is printed in mm-hmm. empty words. I think pretty exactly. There might be a couple of changes. Marjorie, why, why does he do this But that lot? It's
4: faux important, just like the Duchamp. Because he doesn't really tell you what he's doing, Mm -hmm. he tells you the Masostic method. We can all figure that out, you know. And then he tells you that the original one had this many pages, and then he wrote through it again, and he gave himself another rule, which is never to use the same syllable twice, which is pretty hard to do, actually. Very hard, yeah. And he put them on index cards and all that. But what he doesn't tell you that you have to figure out yourself is just the things we've been saying. Look, most e's or silent e's, the one Nancy just looked at, joined had been variety had stimulants at. The shape, you don't hear that E, you don't hear the E in shape at all. So When you hear them, mainly you hear it as a symphony of J's, J, 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 because you have James Joyce. You have two J's. A lot of J's. J is not a very common letter, so he often has to go a long way to find J, which he wouldn't for the others. A long way in the original text. One thing Nancy and I were talking about is, could you do this same thing if your name were Gregor Wroblewski? or any long name. In other words, it's very convenient for Cage that James Joyce is a short name and you can handle it that way. You couldn't do this with just any name. you know. And again, if you just read the introduction, you would think, well, he liked Finnegan's Wake so much, so he did it, but he never really had read The Wake. But his introductions are useful, but they're... All- always parodies in a way, and you have to then fill them in because the introduction doesn't tell you very much.
2: But don't you think when he says, I became devoted to non-syntactical, demilitarized yeah, that true. language.
4: Yeah.
0: It's a very important moment, which I want yeah. to get back to. But There's... first I want to ask Danny, sorry, I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> oh. um, what is the relationship between Cage's work and Joyce's work? <laughs> what is the relationship being set up? I don't mean uh-huh, in a textual, no. procedural sense. I mean, what there is implicitly a thing that's being said about Finnegan's Wake. What is it? About- if there is. Cage I mean, is saying something about oh, Finnegan's Wake. He oh, he's
1: saying so many things Yeah, about I know. Finnegan's I want Wake. you to start. I, I want to so, uh, <laughs> I, I answer that by, by building out to the sense that the rules he sets up in the introduction, they don't tell you what the poem produces, but they give you enough that you can follow right. the variances where, he, where he's making decisions. And there is, I, I think, the most interesting thing, because what he's saying about James Joyce yes. is that he likes to read it. Or that he wants to read it. In the introduction, he talks about never How having he time the book to and read for Wake. And, and he said, you know, I'm never going to read this. I'm always, I'm too busy making music. And so, Did he, he did, read it when he did this yeah. work? I think he did. I think he read it's it. It's a kind of reading. I think he read it for mostly Mine for J's because there are so few J's. <laughs> I think he read it for, for J's. He read it. And I think that that creative form of reading, the, the idea that you can approach a text with some you know askew notion of of how that reading might proceed. And then produce a work out of it. I think it was a very meaning it was clearly something he loved to do. It was a meaningful reading experience. And I think it offers us a method for thinking, well, maybe this is one way that I could read James Joyce. Like why not? Why not read why not read Finnegan's Wake doing this myself? As you did, But Marjorie? it's the
4: antithesis of the scholars reading Absolutely. It, figuring out who are the twins, what's the biblical cycle, what's the Vico cycle, etc. Which et cetera, is why the
0: preface, I agree with you, is a faux explanation <laughs> But it's so much more basically, fun. It's he's like saying He he's like said you could hold it's it upside reading. down you see the J's exactly. better. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I just want to reduce further what you're saying into a sort of a simple sophomoric statement, which is we all own books that we know we should be reading, that we love, even though we haven't read them a certain way. So the you could either just not read it, never even approach it in a close reading, sort of page by page or scholarly way, or you
1: can do whatever it is that makes it work for you. Listen, in his introduction, he talks so much about it. he's got all this business correspondence, his editor's hassling him, he's tired. This is just like, it's like a relaxing way to read the it's book almost, without working too it's hard. Almost it's almost a little performance it's of fun. being
0: annoyed. Yeah. I'm too busy, I say no, I say no, and he, he comes after me. This Anderson guy comes after me, and finally I decide to do it, but then it's too long and I need to come up with it. I mean, it's a, just
4: a he, wonderful a, story it, about it a grumpy... But he's also saying it's unreadable in a way,
0: don't you think? He's
1: absolutely <laughs> unreadable in a traditional sense. Against way. Oh, definitely. But there's a reading group that's going on at my university, and they've gotten I think 20 pages in in a year, well, right? So that it's yeah. at like laborious. So it's at the anti-laborious reading, and and yeah, my favorite exactly. line is it turns irritation into pleasure. And
0: yet, when Nancy started off this conversation and read the first line, she did a close reading of the first line. Mm-hmm. And it's totally, or you did. I wanted to to say it's there's, totally there's brilliant. I mean, it does everything that you need yeah. to do in that first line. Yeah.
2: But there's something else uh, uh, that, that Marjorie and I were talking about that maybe others are alluding to, as well. And this is part there are various questions. First of all, what does it mean to read? Yes. How is reading different from speaking? And he makes you aware of that the whole way through. The other thing which Marjorie brought up last night particularly that's important is you're not meant to hear all of it. Things intervene. Just the way, as Cage may be described, you're on a street corner and you're looking at a store and a car drives by so you can't see the store. Similarly here, as hard as you try to mm-hmm. hear and listen to every sound, they're going to pass you by. There are going to be some that always pass you by. And I think that's an experience that he's trying to recreate. But I, mean, I would really say important.
4: Joyce was perfect, because here's the interesting thing. He also wrote through the cantos. You know, He wrote tried to write through Pound's cantos, yeah. and it didn't work. Yep, and yes. he decided it didn't work. He tried it once. I think he tried it twice. It didn't work. Now, why didn't it work? Because the cantos are already already deconstructed, in a sense. In other words, the cantos don't have syntax, they don't have complete sentences, which is what he didn't like in Joyce, and the cantos already are nothing but fragments. "Palace in a smoky light, a arunculia. You know, so Pound already did it in a way, so there's no point doing it to somebody like
0: Pound. You can't do it. We have to go further with this point, because this is a really important point. He takes Finnegan's Wake on, almost because it's a conventional text. Because he can do his thing to Well, it has such it. wonderful
1: sounds. It's not and it's quite clear hollip- And it's so funny. You know, you're not going to get- Jucky you're Wucky. are going to get Jolly Brule and Jiminy and the and jucky, Wucky. In the, jucky, in the sense wucky, that it's you know, got syntax
0: intact. It has intact, such
1: wonderful language. Intact.
0: So he can summon Norman Brown and Thoreau, mm-hmm. who are both saying that we need to de- demilitarize the language by seeing syntax as the yeah. arrangement of the army or a sentence as the feet that, marching. You know, he says it often, but it's really Thoreau. important here because yeah. he's saying basically, I chose Joyce. Most of you think that Joyce would be one of those impossible sources, but in fact, it's exactly perfect for what I want to do with this work because I want to challenge that idea of syntax as the arrangement of the army. So is there, I mean, critique is the wrong word, Danny, but I asked you before what the relationship of of the Cage text is to the Joyce text.
1: Yeah, I think it's a reading and I think a reading in the scholarly sense. A reading so meaning an
0: interpretation.
1: Yes, it's published both in Tri-Quarterly, an academic publication, and its, its original publication uh, was through um, the James Joyce Quarterly as a supplement to volume 15. And this is the heyday of structuralism. So you have issues of structuralist theory reading James Joyce alongside this crazy experiment, as scholarship. And so what, one of the things I, I think that, I think Cage is a proto-digital humanist. I think it's, it's creative uh, scholarship. And I, I think that really it's a reading of Finnegan's Wake that is a, a singular rich reading that we all can sit here and linger with, but an interpretive text that, that condenses like any other reading, right? Condenses, compresses, produces an argument. I think all of that is at play here.
2: Another thing that's interesting, actually, that I was just thinking as Danny was was speaking, is after all, a reading is a performance. Mm-hmm. And one question related to that is, could anyone else perform this work? Or is it only Cage, you can do it? And the other is just my curiosity um, in hearing Cage perform slash read this multiple times. Did, when I mean, he... Oh, what do he you say? Obviously, for Roratorio, he used a recording of himself reading it, because Roratorio was part of a much more complicated work with music and film. But um, I'm interested, because he is, after all, a composer and a performer, in how the readings changed over time. It's not anything I can answer for you. It's just a mm. question because this is a performance. It's mm-hmm. very much a performance. We see him and we hear it that way
1: yeah and I think those performative dimensions are really interesting yeah. so, so the, the recording they're listening to is at Franklin Furnace in 1978 but in the same year he performed the same text at the Nova Convention William Burroughs's Nova Convention in London oh. alongside Allen Ginsberg alongside the, uh, Timothy Leary and oh. rock bands and so I, I, I don't have a recording of that but you can imagine. Are you saying he performed this work or part of it? This work yes the, the writing through Finnegan's Wake for the second time Brain for the second time through Finnegan's Wake, was also performed at the Nova Convention. I didn't know
4: that. And the context would be very different. The context
1: would be very different. I imagine his delivery would be very different. Um, I'm thinking of his performance where there is a recording of Empty Words in Milan, Mm -hmm. where the the crowd is raucous and Mm -hmm. taking over the stage. Mm -hmm. Here, the the, the audience is just sort of quietly listening. Mm -hmm. They're pretty passive. They're receptive. Nobody walked out in a huff, which happens sometimes
0: with Cage. Right. Uh, And they laughed. At the uh, Norman o. brown stuff, which is always kind of a funny, happy, funny line, right. when he said, "I became devoted to non syntactical, demilitarized language mm-hmm. laugh mm-hmm. that 's an assenting laugh, right mm-hmm. yeah,
1: everybody laughs yeah. hard, yeah, 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 yeah. It's so well,
0: what do you take? It was I think an a- it
1: seemed like an academic audience yeah, I think so. It seemed like an academic audience who was very aware of, was very you know familiar with the work that was following along. Um, one of the things that I found most interesting, though, to follow on this notion of, of performance is the yeah. relationship of the printed version that we're all looking at yeah. to being one of those people listening. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I had listened no to this text. a number of different times. I listened to it once with the text, without the text. I listened to it in my car when I was driving over, mm-hmm. right? Like these different environments, and, and you get a very different experience. Mm-hmm. And I think Can that's one of the... you start to describe the differences? Yeah. So, so one of the, the, I mean, the obvious fundamental thing about the text is that you have the very clear inscription of all caps James Joyce right down the center of the but page you can't really hear when, you when hear, you're here. you hear repetitions of j's you you hear certain things that, that recur but the, it becomes a rhythm and, and and that typographic feature is lost um, you have numbers along the sides of outside edges of the page. These mm-hmm. correspond to the Viking edition. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are actually really fun to watch mm. because they start to grow faster and faster as he gathers syllables. Mm. So he gave himself a rule. He can only use each syllable once. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, it's three, four, and five are on one page. And then the next page, it's already six, seven, eight, nine, 10. The next page goes from 11 to 19. Mm. Uh, they start skipping numbers, right, 20, 21, and then it skips all the way to 27, huh. right? So it, it, there's also a kind of temporality or a tempo that's built into it where toward the end you have huge leaps. And most of those leaps come because you just can't find very many Js. There's only 1,797 Js and the in the text. And you can't I'm sorry, how do you know that? I, I, I analyzed it. There's 1,797 Js. When you say you analyzed it, is there an electronic text yeah. of Finnegan's Wake? Oh, yeah, lots of them.
0: Okay, so you can count.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, this is the, this is the total number of J's. The total number of J's versus So listen to break. this.
1: So there's 1,797 J's, very small number, as opposed to E's, of which there are 118,527.
4: And yet they're mostly silent E's.
1: Mostly silent E's, but silent very easy e's. to find. Um, M's, there's 28,000, but all of them, they're orders of magnitude 28, more. 28,000 M's. M's. Uh, 70,000 S's, 83,000 A's. So the J is really dominating.
4: That's really interesting. But you can, you can but watch this was, the numbers This was a, a, a
0: Jokingly in the preface, Danny, mm-hmm. he's saying, well, I had to get this to be shorter because they only wanted a 33-page you know, printing in triquarterly or whatever, right. so I came up with, and, it, and the J's were very convenient, but that's a funny thing. Yeah. You know, he yeah. didn't really mean that.
1: Oh, it's a radical, I don't think, I think he did. I, I, it's, it's all about compression. You know, one of his best
4: masochistic texts that I love is writing through Howell. Through yeah. Howell. Have you ever heard yeah. that? Yeah.
0: Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. In fact, incredible. We, and that's like we a critique, that. and
4: this is something we haven't talked about. When you said, what's the relation to Joyce? It's it's an homage and it's also a critique, always when you yes, write through somebody Yes, I was trying to get us to
0: the, it is a to
4: the critique. Can we go to the critique? Well, there is a critique in a way You know
0: what the Howl, we know what his critique of Howell is in writing through
3: Howl.
4: Well, the grandiose, Baroque, wordy, you
3: know, wordy I
4: saw the best minds of my generation yes. starving, hysterical, naked. Right. Saw da, 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 right. you know right. like what's all the fuss about? You know, right. yeah. What's all the fuss oh, yeah. about? Yeah, well that now, is really a critique.
0: So that's yeah. an easy there's a masostic that's an it's easy to understand the critique. This is a little harder. Can yeah. we do it?
4: Well, yeah. I think the critique is that there's a lot of narrative where it could be shorter, and, and he makes it much shorter. And you don't need all that. You just need the, the constellations, in a way. They're like concrete portrait constellations. And you don't need all that narrative. There are places in the wake where, you know, then it gets quite long, and then you're supposed to relate things philosophically and so forth. And of course, he doesn't do that. And the critique is the syntax. This critique is the syntax. That's That's the key here, right? And it's a difference between modernism and a later time. The Joyce is a modernist writer, and Cage wants to change that. And it it has an overload of meaning. He would probably say it has such an overload of meaning. When he said, "I never read it," because he never wanted to read the whole thing. You know, of course, he could have read it.
0: Danny, what I really like when (laughs) I when I'm reading uh, uh, some kind of uh, procedural, uh, you know. Creative reading mm. piece, aleatory piece, whatever. Mm-hmm. When a word appears as the result of the procedure that kind of that becomes metapoetic and shouts out what the project is. Um, not a wing word, a word that had to be. <laughs> My favorite in this passage is jerry building. Jerry building. Because this, uh-huh. this is what he's doing here. He's, he's kind of telling you right. this is Cage mm-hmm. peeking through the joists, mm-hmm. right? I don't know if there are other instances oh, of Oh, there are
1: many. So that, that line, though, uh, just to push back on the, uh, the critique, I, I, it's such a loving reading. And, uh, but uh, what I find so interesting is that he's so... The wing words and the way that it's composed is really toward cohesion. Like, it's not breaking the syntax. It's actually, like, reproducing... So like,
0: you're saying the procedure threatens to this, break it apart, the, but he restores Yeah,
1: jerry-building to the year, year, and last years. Confusion, hold them. I mean, so he's added the thus, the and, and the hold, which all connect and so i think that like will to connect mm-hmm. is is Unusual for Cage, and, and part of what makes this piece so interesting for me in the way he reads it.
4: Year, year, and laugh tears. Laugh tears, he talks about it at great length in his conversation with Klaus Schoening about the Roratorio. And he said, It's so wonderful. That's what all my work is. Laugh, laugh tears.
0: tears. The contrast. Yeah. There's with, another the example. Paradox of yeah. laugh
4: tears. And he said, Don't forget, tears also has ears in it.
1: Yeah. Oh, of course, beautiful.
0: that's a wing and word. And he's got, Jerry got other words building yeah. is a word he had to use. Laugh tears is a word he picked up. Yeah. He
4: picked up. Yeah. And, yeah, but it rhymes with years. It's got the it same. It does. It's There's an a I rhyme with years. He's aware of that. Yeah. And so it really works. And he likes the after. And by the way, Roratorio, when he said, it's in Joyce, I think it's on page 41. It is. You go back and look, and they're the Roratorio. It took me a while to find it because the new... Viking edition is one page different or two pages off, mm. you know, what mm. he's saying. But there it is. There's that word, Roratorius. So in a way, he's reading it. I think Danny's right. It's a new way of reading, and it's the way we read today. It's absolutely to, the way we don't don't today. To read today. This don't is what
0: you meant by every, anticipating the digital culture. We don't culture, read right? novels yeah.
2: all the way through and read every word intervention. And also the idea and of, of intervention, and this that other... Other events intervene. That makes me. And then me... you go back, and then maybe something intervenes again, and that's not a problem. You he's then made return. that very
4: clear.
0: This reminds me of a question that I, a few minutes ago, wanted to ask you. Um, and and this, I, I ask it of you um, thinking about uh, uh, writers, but also visual artists and musicians. Mm-hmm. What is to be gained? That's, it. he's not about gain. What is to be derived? What advantage is to be derived from writing through? someone else's work. What does writing through get you? As opposed to writing something that's quote-unquote new. But you're asking
4: the question, why not just write your own work? I mean, why do we want... It's a basic
0: basic question. Basic
4: question. And of course, many people hate this kind of thing. Yes, I know. Ridiculous, not doing anything, you're just plagiarizing, blah, 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 etc. But it's the notion that when there is such wonderful language available, you can make something quite new by just using it and deforming it and showing other things and using it. But, of course, it does mean you believe in the how rather than the what more, that you believe that poetry... Now, Cage said that as early as silence, in the preface to silence, I always thought of poetry as a form, a formal thing. Poetry is formalized language. That's how Cage defined it back in 62. It's a way of formalizing the language. And he would have had no interest in the idea of poetry saying something important or saying something interesting. And so he's really basically fighting that just as he fought in music against... Having a melody, having, it's the same
2: fight, but even as he fights against it, there are decipherable exactly. words or audible.
4: It has words. meaning. It does end up having meaning because you pause on certain things, and you do think about also if they they you just create other meanings. But that goes back to the idea that there is no silence. That in silence, you're just listening to other sounds, and this too makes you very sensitive. So, what is the theme? If you want a theme here, if somebody wanted a theme, the theme is certainly not something about Finnegan's or the Irish or whatever, it is what can be done, you know, with this particular discipline, how you can make, how you can sensitize people to the play of sound, to the play of language, how they intersect, but how they're not the same, and how complex an artwork is. And Mm non-semantic, but yet semantic. It doesn't have to say something.
1: And, and, and. To present alternate modes of of, of reading, and, and and to present those alternate modes of reading, I, I there's you know the I use the word deformed, which is uh, I was thinking of, about um, Jerome McGann and Lisa Samuel's notion of deformance, where the the idea is that by breaking down a, a work of poetry, they, they take they think about Dickinson, where to to read a poem backwards would be a way to understand something you couldn't understand otherwise, right. unless right. you read it backward. Right. And I think that this is a singular you know it's a singular way of reading. Finnegan's Wake, of deforming Finnegan's Wake, to produce a, it, its own singular kind of knowledge.
3: Jesse's ripe occasion, our cadum, bleach, valla pluck, thick up for flesh nelly, Guinness spa tool in jumi dinner, oozle finn, a nice how do you do in pool black time. Jurgensen's shrapnel, communionism, usu capture, the same tongue, and commutative justice, that there is not one tittle, of hypertituitary manlike cavern ethics, blue ruin and creeping jenny, Eglantine's choicest herbage, man swell, that aims swell. I have a sense of intimacy. Yeah. Cage
0: wanted to engage with this text that he had that he felt a little guilty he hadn't engaged with. He found a way to do it. He did it once, and the editor ho 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 mm. didn't want it, so he did it twice. The idea of a second time through. Now he's gone through the whole work closely. There's really no no way to read a text closer than to be looking for the J's, mm-hmm. right? That's mm-hmm. a close reading of a weird kind. But the intimacy, he's expressing his relationship to this text and finding a way to be intimate with it. And you might not get it from any kind of semantic sense of what the words are doing, but you'll get it from the fact of knowing the procedure. Yeah. The procedure was he went closely through this book that he had owned for years and hadn't had a relationship
4: and it makes a difference. You know, I wondered in the oratorio where well, he sent people out to get the sounds at the actual site. So he uses the mink gazetteer, and he catalogs all the place names that are used in Finnegan's Wake, millions of them, many of them in Ireland, but they could be in Argentina, and he sends people to that place to collect a sound there. Now, at one level, that's completely ridiculous. You go to Argentina, and you listen to a cow mooing in some village. Does a cow moo differently in Argentina than in Dublin? But the effect is, when he says it's in Ireland, Irish circus. Honestly, when you hear the whole thing, it does sound like an Irish circus. It certainly doesn't sound like a Spanish circus or something. It has a quality that he somehow managed to get all those sounds, put them together, and you do get what he wanted. Yeah. You know. And of course, it's game in a way, but it's very serious play. And by the way, do we? where is the first writing? Writing the first time through Finnegan's Wake,
2: I don't even know don't where it is. We don't have it.
0: I have an idea about first time, second time that I want to share with you and get your reaction. But then I'd like us to go around and offer final thoughts.
2: Could, could I just say one thing of about course. performance? And I think yeah. that's something really to be teased out more. Yeah. Is what kind of a performance is this, and how does it change, or how is it different? But you know, with the and this is true of all performances. That if right. Jean-Yves Thibaudet performs Messiaen, it's going to be different. But but one just kind of basic thing I wanted to mention is that he's both both defying the idea of the stanza and following it, Mm -hmm. and it's totally unpredictable. Mm -hmm. So as you're reading, Mm -hmm. you think, oh, he's going right across Mm -hmm. the stanza to the next, he's not pausing, see, he doesn't want this to be read as stanzas, and just when you conclude that, he does complete the stanza. So it has this, this is part of performance, that's why I'm emphasizing it, it has this kind of unpredictability that I think is extremely effective and keeps you interested. And Mm. reading listening, Mm. which is remarkable. It's a virtuosic piece, really. Absolutely.
0: All right, here's my maybe silly notion about first time, second time. Get your reaction, please. Uh, Anytime I hear uh, on first encountering, a first reading of something, when you have a major poet uh, or major writer, major artist encountering another one for the first time, and he kind of says this autobiographically, this is the first time, all I can think of is, Another major poet encountering Homer for the first time in a certain translation, and of course, so on first encountering, what I love about this, and you suggested it to me when you said where 's the first version it does it 's not around the second there 's something funny about and, and clever and very modern about saying i 'm not going to play that Keatsian game of celebrating the first encounter. I, I think a second encounter is probably a better one, you know. Any thoughts about that? Does that are, is that in the background of this title? And there's also a third, fourth, and fifth. <laughs> <laughs> Inevitably, right? Yeah, yeah.
4: Well, I think it's what I call a differential text that Red Cage is already doing, and that way he's very up to date. That there isn't one set text. Yeah. And even yeah. this is not a set text, there could be another one and they could be different and then somebody else will read it differently. And um, So it also gives us the notion of a poem, that a poem is not that fixed thing, that right. it's etched in stone whether you see read it in an anthology or not, and you wouldn't read this in an anthology. How would you anthologize it?
0: Mm. Uh, let, we'll go around twice for final thoughts. You probably I know you have so many final thoughts. So let's go around twice, final thoughts, it doesn't have to relate to anything we've said. In fact, it would be even better if it was a new thought. Well, this Nancy, you're this first.
2: will relate, and I'm actually going to quote from Radical Artifice from <laughs> from, um, Audrey's uh, from artifice. your mother's. Own I am book, because something? there's a fantastic quote. This is um, actually, <laughs> and it's very it's very apropos, but it adds something to our discussion. Definitely, That's the section one. that I've selected, it, I'll just read. It's not that long. is is part of the analysis of lecture on the weather. Okay. So it's specifically about Cage. Okay, Radical Artifice quote characterized by its opposition, not only to, quote, the language really spoken by men, end quote, but also to what is loosely called formalist, whether new or old verse, with its elaborate poetic diction and self-conscious return to established forms and genres. Artifice in this sense, and this is in terms of lecture on the weather, but I think it applies also to the writing for the second time, artifice in this sense is less a matter of ingenuity and manner of elaboration and elegant subterfuge than of the recognition that a poem or painting or performance text is a made thing, contrived, constructed, chosen, and that its reading is also a construction on the part of its audience. So Well said. So your final thought turns out to be hers. I don't know that it's my final thought. I thought this enough. Well...
4: Uh, my, it, it's thank very you. Apropos. And my my final thought, and I never know whether one can convert people. You know, we put a little, uh, Cage. In, when we did the um, the Library of America anthology of modernist poetry, we actually dared put in a few pages of Cage, and I don't even remember what it was. It wasn't from this, but it was a short thing. And Helen Vendler, when she reviewed the anthology, I mean, there are only. 300 poets in it or whatever, you know, everybody from 1900 through whatever, everybody. She said, and it really one of the great faults was that we dared include John Cage because he's obviously not a poet. Now, I run into that all the time. I've run into it when I lecture. You run into it, you know, you're going to keep running into it, but it is really silly because he's really not only a poet, but I think a really important, I'm so glad you decided to have a poem talk on him. He's a really important poet because as Danny pointed out, I mean, he does each thing. He really is watching very carefully what he does, and they're very much constructed. They're by no means just following the rules. You get this incredible tension where you feel he has picked those wing words or lack of wing words. So Roth with two, one, Nath and Joe. It could have just begun Joe. Mm. Joe gives you the J, right? Joe. But one thing that makes me sad, in a way, is that um, as far as the university goes, things haven't. Imp- it, it isn't that now he's really recognized and so on. I should say, though, for the larger public and the musical public, he is played now. He is performed. He is recognized as a major figure. But um, but as far as teaching him in university courses or anything like that, it's still on the hull, right? He, you think so? You think people do it?
0: Danny you can for your final thought, take that up or offer no, I'm your own final I know the answer.
1: I don't know the answer to that. Um, I, I had a series of final thoughts. That, okay, like, go ahead. Let's present. hear um, them. Um, first, to do wrap up some of what we were saying around like why this version, um, I think it also has something to do with exactly what you're saying about Cage the poet making these creative decisions. Um, in later versions of writing through Finnegan's Wake, he would use a computer, and that computational process was much more like Mac Lowe. Some of the first his first encounters with the computer were for writing through this text. Mm-hmm. And those, I think, are much less successful. And mm-hmm. I think it really is about mm-hmm. finding a, a oh, hyper-procedural format that allows that's for really creative important. engagement. And I yeah. think that's a really that, that's something I've, I've been very interested in, in in terms of editorial poetics and thinking about editing. Um, but the, the final part I really wanted to land on was something that you can't hear in the recording but is so central to the work, which is the punctuation surrounding this text. We haven't oh, had yeah, a chance to a say a word about it. And it's it's silent both in the performance mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. and it's silent in the way Cage reads it. He doesn't look or speak about or, or take cue from any of the punctuation um but it's there hopefully the, the the pages might be distributed alongside the poem talk but they're whenever there's something other than a period like an exclamation point or a parenthesis or a question mark mm-hmm. they're tilted and placed on the page according to chance operations mm-hmm. but the thing i really wanted to point to is that this was done with alice knowles as a kind of silent collaborator oh, really? with this in this poem yes so they were done in vermont well cage well, in between know. mushroom hunts, he and Alison Knowles, and I'm not sure what the proportion of, of huh. work and labor was there, uh, laid out the punctuation that really oh. sets the the visual uh, mm-hmm. element of upside the page down upside please. down. So so um as a as a kind of invisible collaborator and an unheard one, I wanted my final note to be recognition of Alison Knowles' work in this piece.
2: Excellent. And if I can just really support interesting. What, what you're saying, it, it's almost uh, serendipitous because I was just looking at the text again and thinking, would I call this visual? Is this mm. visually interesting? Does it make me want to turn the pages and look at different visual configurations? And I wouldn't say it does, but the presence of the punctuation. That subtle presence of the punctuation suddenly brings that out. And after all, Cage was very visual mm-hmm. and did visual work. So that. thank you for, for bringing the in the and Knowles. That's really important.
0: Well, my final thought is um, my f- just to mention my favorite part of the preface, which is when he's telling the history of his relationship to the text, to Finnegan's Wake. He recalls very precisely in 1942, which is a few years after he bought his copy in 1939, Janet Fairbanks asked him for a song, and he looked in the book, browsed it, this copy he'd had since 39, but hadn't done anything with it, and he found a passage on page 556. Mm-hmm. And then in our recording and in the preface, he reads it. And it is so beautiful, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. reading is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'll just read a couple of phrases from it, but it's just, and he reads it so lovingly, Mm -hmm. Cage does in this performance. Night by silent sailing night, Isabel Wildwood's eyes, primrose hair quietly, all the woods so wild in mauves of moss and Daphne dews. I love the Daphne dews. How all so still she lay, Neath of the white thorn, child of tree, like some lost happy leaf, like blowing flower stilled. He really so
4: formal and so so elaborate. So formal, so so old-fashioned, exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. So lyric. And he's so really, Larry, he's really sort of giving important. us a kind of intellectual history of engagement with this. It's almost like there's Cajun 39, buying the book he knows to in a department store in Seattle. And in 42, he picks a song. And then he's really giving us a kind of personal history of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, we like mm. to end Poem Talk with a minute or two of Gathering Paradise, a chance for several of us, to, sp- or all of us, if you're quick, to spread wide our narrow hands to gather a little something really poetically good to hail or commend someone or something going on in the poetry world or the art world who wants
1: to start. Danny, you have a, you have a thought? <laughs> sure. Um, so many, and, and this conversation has been wonderful. Uh, I would like to point, I've been obsessed with the transmedia storytelling phenomenon that is Lil Michaela. Uh, this is an Instagram uh, profile and celebrity. She has, uh, I think, two million followers. Um, was on Instagram for a long time and came out uh, sometime last year as being a robot. Um, she's clearly a CGI character. And there's a, a creative team in Los Angeles here, Bruce. Tell us the name again. What's your name? Lil Michaela. L I L Michaela. Um, you, very easy to Google. You'll find all kinds of articles. But really, it, it's presented as a, a as celebrity in these articles. But I think it's the great storytelling project of the year.
2: Huh, interesting.
1: Remarkable. Thank uh-huh. you. Nancy, gather some paradise.
2: I'm just thinking of a couple. You you mentioned Fluxus. We didn't really talk about Fluxus. It's important to say that Cage was not very interested in Fluxus and certainly didn't like to be considered the father of Fluxus, even though his influence was absolutely crucial. So I won't Focus too much on the Fluxus Festival with the LA Philharmonic and the Getty Research Institute because that's finite. But I will just mention two pieces. One by, Ke- and, and just let's think of those in relation to Cage because I think Cage always comes out on top no matter how effective the Fluxus piece. So Ken Friedman, oh, yeah. Sonata oh, yeah. for Melons and Gravity. Okay, it's very cool. clever. Sonata for Melons and Gravity, 1964, something like that, which involves two, in the particular case of the Los Angeles Philharmonic, two people on the second level of Disney Hall throwing a watermelon down so that it lands in a bin that has a sounding board and you have this amazing sound. That's, now, all, none of this could ever have happened without Cage. I mean, the whole idea of sound, of silence, of producers of sound. So I just want to mention, as part of our discussion, which has been so enjoyable to me, that Cage's presence is in so many places. Even where his name might not be uttered, we know that a piece like Sonata for Melons in Gravity. Um, You know, also the chance aspect, the open form, but where are the constraints? Are there constraints similar to those that Cage used? And if not, is that a problem? How do we evaluate the fluxus pieces? All those questions fascinate me, even as I always think of them in relation to Cage. Thank you so much. That's what I would say.
0: Marjorie, gather some paradise. It,
2: It just came in the mail two days ago. I
4: declare a permanent state of happiness that relates to the world of the happy as a happy world. In in Wittgenstein, a writing through, uh, Kenny's writing through. If you've seen the Wittgenstein Tractatus, I had very, I was very apprehensive about this when I heard about it because I thought, mm, it's not so easy to write through the Tractatus, and how much does Kenny really know? He takes. Almost every aphorism and um, relates it to some aphorism by later artists, whether conceptual artists, whether, you know, whatever. So it's, it, and they're drawings, sort of wonderful drawings. This is more of an artist book, and just the look of the pages themselves is very striking, and no two that are quite the same. and. O- all the commentary possible. I think this is one of the best books he's done, better than certain recent ones that didn't work this way, and he really got into it, and he did read the Tractatus very carefully, and then it's like a riff on it with a lot of thoughts and a lot of similarities and also differences, and when you get you know, a comic version of it, I originally know, know Kenny Goldsmith through Cage, because when he first wrote 73 poems, his first book, I think, that's all based on Joan Barbara songs, and it's all based on Cage, and Cage was really his kind of idol. Uh, Warhol is the other, and I have very little interest in Warhol. So that is not the thing. But the Cage, which he then became almost critical of because he said it's too, too utopian,
0: right. maybe too positive. Too severe also.
4: Yeah, he's critical of it, but the fact is he learned, most of he learned. he learned. From, again, as Nancy said, this could not have been written without, without, I don't think this could have been written without Cage in some way, even though it's very different. So that Wonderful. I'll give that mine.
0: Well, My Plug. Gathering Paradise is the experience of reading as much as you can of the thousands of poems that were typewritten by mostly one finger by Larry Eigner. There's a four-volume, mm. co- I think it's collected,
3: it is. of Eigner.
0: They use a courier, non-proportional, so it looks a little like Eigner having typed it. Uh, thousands of them. And you think, I mean... I, for me, Eigner, there are a lot of Eigner fans. I hope they're not going to get mad at me. Um, for me, Eigner is not about any one jam that you find. It's about the experience of just mm. reading the daily observations, one after another after another. Um, and I just, I just, the you know, so somewhere in like volume four, thousands of pages in. I found this poem. I just thought I would read it. It's, uh, it's purely observational, but it's also political because what he does is from his, presumably from his room in San Francisco, he sees, he's looking, and he sees uh, someone has done either graffiti or someone posted something to it, maybe a telephone pole or a stop sign. It says, stop war on a stop sign. And that's as close as it gets to politics. This is uh, 86, so we're talking about the Reagan era interventions probably. in. El Salvador and otherwise. So here it is. And just words corner, stop sign. Stop war, all caps. Organization of the cars. Arrowy traffic on the bigger road. No clouds cross the sky. Space, buildings, windows. To me, that is, you know, he's just observing. Organization of the cars is a wonderful pun mm.
1: uh,
0: organization as in you know you got stop war so you think oh organization but it's just the arrangement of the mm-hmm. cars it's a, it's a it's a sort of a, it stop war is deceptively political it's not really it's a poem about somehow pecking out some words. Mm. Uh, as uh, what you see, Larry Eigner. It's called Corner Stop Sign, and you can find it on page, I don't know, I don't know the page, but Mm. May uh, 1986. Mm. Well, that's all the demilitarized syntax we have time for on Poem Talk today. (laughs) Poem Talk at the Writers House, a collaboration of the Center for Programs in Contemporary Writing and the Kelly Writers House the University of Pennsylvania and the Poetry Foundation, poetryfoundation.org. Thanks so much to my guest, Nancy Perloff, Danny Snelson and Marjorie Perloff, and to Poem Talk's directors and engineers today, Zach Cardner and Chris Martin, and to Poem Talk's editor, the same amazing Zach Cardner, pointing at you, and once again, Zach, Chris, and Anna for coming out here to the left coast. And again, most sincere (laughs) thanks to Marjorie for hosting us, and a shout out to Nathan and Elizabeth Light for their very generous support of Poem Talk. In our next episode, we'll be back in Philadelphia talking about Nasser Hussein's book of poems written entirely of words made from three-letter airport codes. Sky, right, ings You have no idea how many words you can make from airport codes. Mm. Did you know there's an airport whose code is USA and it's not in the USA? And we'll be joined for that by Russianist Kevin Platt, the Nepali performance poet Ujwala Maharjan and Nasser Hussein himself. This is Al Filris, and I hope you'll join us again for that or another episode of
2: Poem Talk.